Hello, welcome to the Bangers and Classics podcast with James Ruppert and David Malloy. So James, how are you today? Uh, I'm extremely well, thank you very much David. Um, I hope you can hear me there. Oh, perfectly, yeah. 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 <laughs> coming through loud and clear. Uh, no doubt I'm coming through loud and unclear at your end. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, you absolutely. Um, no, no, all's well here. The snow's gone. Uh, that was uh, all very exciting for a while. It was uh, deeply, deeply cold. Um, and actually, strangely enough, on um, uh, an, an unrelated, un, unmotoring note, um, I can confirm that uh, air source heating is, is not as good as... Uh, a blazing log fire um uh, so uh, if uh, anyone's thinking of uh, uh, changing all, all their heating in sub zero temperatures um it, uh, caution is required when it comes to uh, uh, these new these newfangled ways of um, heating your home um it really did struggle when the when it was very very cold indeed and uh, i would say believe people with uh, electric cars struggle so it's a it's a sort of slightly related dig at um uh, new technology whereas if you've got the old um you know uh, coal fired or uh, log fired uh, ways of doing things you're virtually guaranteed of drying off and uh, uh, being fit and well uh, whereas with the others there's a bit more uncertainty and uh, i like certainty in my life <laughs> so yeah sometimes the old technology is the best and of course it's not really just technology from the past but i think sometimes the best um car names for one thing i mean nowadays we get names some of them the, as if they're created by uh, five-year-old children's or at least spelled by five-year-old kids names like car you know k-a kuga k-u-g-a Mocha, M-O-K-A-K-A, and then plus names that really I don't know where they're coming from. Evija is one. I really don't see that being a great hit for Lotus as a name um, compared to the likes of the Esprit, the Eclat, the Elan, the Elise, even all strong names. Evija just doesn't have a ring to it. But you go back to the past, and I'll give you a couple of names. New Deck, no doubt, can come back with some more. But in the past, obviously, you had names like uh, Spitfire, Interceptor, Avenger, Absolutely. Um, I, I mean, yeah. I mean, you're coming up with the best names ever for cars. Um, you know, the, you know. The, well, I, well, there was the the Avenger Tiger. I don't think you can get any any better than that. No. Um, it's... <laughs> but I mean, you, David, as as a lawyer, know they're doing this to protect themselves because obviously in Azerbaijan, uh, if you say Avenger, it means something terrible. So, so that's the reason why they why why they've you know emasculated the names. But it but it but it is quite awful and actually should we really care what anyone thinks in any other country we just think that's a great name for us well what they can do is do what toyota did with the mr2 and they couldn't call it the mr2 in france because you know mr2 sounds like a a french (laughs) word that um can cause some offense to the easily offended um and they called it a toyota mr there so why not call cars names that work in a particular territory or territories and let's change it so if you want to call a car for example a name in china um that you know wouldn't really work here we'll call it that there call it something else here why not it's not as if it's going to cost a vast amount of money to do it no i think i think that that is their argument that it would cost one one penny per unit and if you if you spread that across you know a million units it starts to add up but i i completely agree with you and you would think they would just um you know allow um each individual marketing you know country and area to come up with whatever they want really uh but what you're saying yeah is that car names are meaningless boring 
uh, obtuse and you know they don't really mean anything at all and they're not just they're just not very exciting i mean it, it was quite nice when we had home county names uh, for austins and uh, morris's uh, uh, over the years and things like that it was sort of quite quaint um but um yeah i i think we need a, a huge overhaul um of, of the whole naming procedure because as you say you you'll never come across a uh, a car which is any finer than a Jensen Interceptor. Yeah, I've got a Jensen Interceptor. Yeah, uh, which is far better than uh, I've got a. Uh, I don't know what would <laughs> because they're all so bad, aren't, aren't they? Now, uh, well, not just, good, no, no. no, that's right. Yeah, uh, you know, a, a Kia something or other. Yeah, mind mind you, James. I mean, you don't really want to go to say to people, especially in polite company. Hey, I've got an Escort. That could be taken yeah. the wrong way. It certainly can, absolutely. <laughs> okay, <laughs> moving on. <laughs> moving on. Um, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say that every car name of the past was a, was a good name. I mean, for example, the Marina, it wasn't a very strong name. No. And maybe, I don't know, did Marinas have um, problems with water ingress? Maybe that's why they were called that. I don't know. No, exactly. Who knows? Um, uh, I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I mean, yes, I mean, we. I, I think we will constantly return to uh, car names because that's where it all spreads from. Um, and very few cars can sort of survive on numbers alone. Um, you know, you can do it to an extent with Ferraris and uh, Porsches. Uh, but really, you know, a car does need a name, I think, uh, um, because then you know exactly what it is. Yeah. I didn't mind numbers so much. I mm. mean, I had a few Renaults back in the day, a couple of R11s and R19s. Yeah. I, I didn't mind that at all. Same with Peugeot. With mm. their names, I mean, 205, um, G, especially the GTI, it's still, it's still got a strong sound to it. It, yeah, it it has yeah absolutely I've I, I've just had some uh, emails actually because I, I wrote about a five hundred five estate and um, it, it's incredible the you know the cascade of people who you just have to put those you know you only just have to say the numbers and people come up with all sorts of uh, re- reminiscences about you know using them as taxis in Africa with about twenty three people on board and things like that and uh, yes um, it, it, it's amazing sort of what things that they can they, they can conjure up, which uh, I, I don't think a, a Ford um, Cougar um, is, is going to do exactly the same. Um, no, no. Yeah, because um, you, you, you did note in your, in your fine book um, uh, about the Ford Probe, um, because... <laughs> <laughs> um, because uh, yeah, well... That, there, we, that, there we go again, it's just like the yeah. Escort. Absolutely. Um, but you see, Probe, I, I mean, as I understand it at, at the time, I think they were trying to justify it because obviously in, uh, if you speak American, um, space probe means something terribly exciting. Uh, whereas yeah. to us, it's just because because we're basically schoolboys. We just think, yeah, that's really funny. Yeah, um, this is true. Oh, <laughs> schoolboys. The oldest yeah. 12-year-olds in town. Absolutely. Nothing wrong with that at all. No. No, but yeah, I mean, yeah, the probe, um, it wasn't its name that killed it, let's be honest. It was, it just wasn't as good as it could have been, and it just didn't live up to the Capri. I mean, it may have been a better car in many respects than the Capri, to be honest. It probably was. Mm. But um, unfortunately, you had Steve Coogan doing his bit, which again, probably didn't do it that much harm. I think the damage was done by then. Oh, absolutely. It just, it's just uninspired. That was the problem. Same with the Cougar. At least yeah. they named that one properly. It came mm. along tail end of the 90s. Remember the advert with Dennis Hopper? That's right. Um, yeah. A- again, not necessarily a bad car. Possibly the, was it the New Edge styling, I think they called it? It was. It had. It? Um, right. Yeah. It didn't quite work. 
No, Fermi but then, the thing. well, that's right. Especially if you think back to Mercury uh, cougars, as they were, which were quite fabulous things, weren't they? Mm. Uh, you know, brilliant American concoctions. You know, they they were just, you know, just just wonderful, wonderful creations that we will never see the like of again. They were so over the top. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah, the cougar was uh, a rather dreary uh, excuse for a Mondeo, I suppose, in a way. Yeah, well, having said that, I mean, thinking about it, Americans come up with some great names for cars. You know, um, obviously, you think about the Mustang, the Thunderbird, the Charger, the Challenger. Yeah. There's a whole list of car names for America that are very strong. The cars by themselves not always have been great. And let's face it, there was a time in the 70s in particular when they were pretty poor, but the names were still strong. Well, that's right. Still go to the state. I mean, Daytona's another one. I mean, the Ferrari Daytona um, was never actually called the Ferrari Daytona, but Dodge made one called the Daytona. Uh, early, oh, I think it was early 80s, if yeah. memory serves me right. If you want to see one, folks, there's a film called Black Moon Rising that stars Tommy Lee Jones. Not a great film, but you'll get to see a Dodge Daytona in it, so that's always something. Anyway, names is one thing. Perhaps now we should move across to something else, and that is adverts. You're listening to the Bangers and Classics podcast with James Ruppert and David Malloy. I've talked about car names, James. What about car advertisements? Would you agree that car advertisements from the past are better, generally speaking, than those we get today? They are. I think that's that's um, an irrefutable one um, in that uh, reg- rules and regulations and the Advertising Standards Authority have, have muted every single car ad uh, completely so that they're reduced to I really don't understand what they're trying to say to me uh, uh, and they're not even informative they're not even telling me it's got a big boot um, they're just it, it's it's lifestyle you know to the you know to to the max and I I think that's the only uh, way they think people buy cars now is you know does it you know communicate a lifestyle but there's no but there's no attempt to make it exciting there's no you know attempt to engage you there's no you know you don't really want one when you actually see the advert i you know i've i've not seen a car advert in years when i thought well i must uh, go and sell the house so i can go and buy one of those it just it just doesn't exist anymore no i mean to me it's a bit of aldous huxley in operation what you get now the car ad tends to be a bland modern cityscape with a bland modern identikit car driven by identikit actors there's no personality there's no soul and you compare that to uh, something like for example the citroen bx gti 16 valve advert from the i think it was the early 90s all it had was marcello gandini a black bx 16 valve and the italian countryside but it told you everything you needed to know about the car and it looked great it was memorable um it didn't necessarily make you want to run out and buy the car but it put it in your mind that if you were thinking perhaps of buying a car of that type you'd, you'd definitely put that one into consideration so I see it, you know, I'm not a sort of person who's going to jump out and buy something on the strength of a commercial, you know, I'm You've hoping gone, a bit David. deeper than that. Um, but a good commercial should put a product in the mind of a potential consumer so that, you know, they'll remember it. And if they're going to buy something of that ilk, then they'll certainly give it consideration and evaluate it when the time comes. And again, another one, which I really annoyed the heck out of me back in the day, but it made its point, was the Renault 25 adverts. Do you remember those with the, I certainly the, the yuppie couple? Yeah, that's right. Yes, I, I think I was engaged to that woman for a while um, uh, at some point. 
Um, really? Yeah, I don't think she realised it, but uh, you know, I, I was I was very very much in love with that plummy voiced uh, woman oh. um, who <laughs> who wanted to uh, was it Ian's with me, Sounds with me, and we've got the backing. I think was. Uh, yeah. Are you sure I'm being a bit hasty? Yeah, that's it. Hasty. That was it. it was that the way she hasty. said hasty. Mm. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you see, I remember I told you about the guy I used to work with when I was doing my training who used to quote Blade Runner all the time. Yeah. Well, the chap in that commercial, was his screen name was David. Of course, I'm David. And I had a Renault. Mm. So what did I get for two years of my traineeship? Aren't you being a bit hasty, David, from the other side of the room? You know, so I've got reason to hate that commercial. I did, however, like the Renault 25, but that's another story. Yeah. But you had that. The other advert, I think, possibly my favorite, and it made a, it made all the, the good points about the car. It showed its features, um, the reasons why I think of buying it, and it used humor, was the Citroen Visa commercial from about 1982. It was a driving school with a sort of Clouseau-esque driving instructor and a somewhat crazy pupil. Um, it, you can probably find it on YouTube to this day, it may have dated in some people's minds. I still find it funny, but then again, as we, you know, as we said before, we'd overgone twelve year old James. So you know what? The heck. <laughs> but yeah, and also the Nicole and Papa. I remember those two. Absolutely, yeah. And Absolutely. again, I didn't particularly like mm. the adverts, but they were memorable. They what were. you get now is just blandness. It's just they all went into each other. Well, it is. It, it is the sort of euroness of it all in that again you have a one advertising company makes the advert and they just dub it into a different language so you know this is just it, it doesn't mean anything to anyone anywhere but it but that's what they think it does that you know they, they actually think they're appealing to everybody but they're actually appealing to no one because of it yeah i mean i think it's a simple process and i'm not an ad man god knows that i'm not a marketeer but to me what how, how i would set up an ad if i was running one i would emphasize the car's attributes in it and I'd wrap it up with, you know, I'd use humor or a storyline or something distinctive, anything that made it memorable to get that message across. And then I'd try to, if it was a print ad, I'd try and wrap it up, you know, with a clear and memorable uh, slogan or catchphrase. And perhaps the best example of that, if you remember, probably back in the 70s, maybe early 80s, the Volkswagen advert. It was a cartoon man holding a petrol pump to his head. And all it said below it, and the only text on it was, or buy a Volkswagen. Brilliantly simple, brilliantly effective. Well, that's right. Yes, it's the Dawn, Dawn, Dane, Dane um, uh, uh, and Burnback. Uh, I've actually got a book, uh, a signed book, actually, which has all of those adverts in them. Um, uh, and again, one of the most famous ones. And most of these were um, uh, uh, produced in the States for the States um, was the how does the um, uh, driver of the snowplow get to the snowplow? Um, and that you know, and obviously, yeah, wonderful. It is, it is, and that's and that's it. That's that's all the ad is. It's fantastic, um, and there is nothing. No one has the clarity of thought, and it's a bit like actually the um, uh, the British ads for BMW uh, in the uh, late seventies uh, and early eighties were again very very clear, very aspirational. Uh, um, you know, you need to have a sense of humour to get them, but they were they were, but they appealed to your cleverness. Um, Hmm. And uh, and that is what we do not get anymore. Uh, for for my sins, I did used to work in Charlotte Street in London, um, and I did did used to write ads. And so I was um, I was slightly involved in it. I've, I've worked in all the worst professions apart from um, selling houses. I think I've done everything that um, has been despised by people. Uh, I've, mer- I've yeah, I actually haven't done that. Uh, but yeah, I've worked in m- merchant banks. I've worked in advertising. I've worked in car sales. 
uh, and I've been a journalist. So there you go. So that's all the all the worst professions you can be in. But I would agree with you that um, I think car ads are actually fairly fairly straightforward to get right. Um, and obviously, that's what we should do after uh, this podcast is finished. The Bangers and Classics podcast is we is we start the Bangers and Classics advertising agency because I th- I think I think we can solve ev- every problem. Uh, that the advertising industry has. Either that, or we'll end up doing five years in a chair of London or something. Absolutely. You know, but fair enough. You know, I'd, it's a risk worth taking. Yeah, you mentioned the um, USA ad for Volkswagen. Um, a little plug here. I think one of them is mentioned in the, the, my book, the Ultimate Classic Car Quiz Book. Um, and there's a reference to one advert which I think really look at the ball rolling for Volkswagen in America uh, in the late fifties, early sixties. It was an advert. It was called Think Small, and it was about the Volkswagen Beetle, which wasn't selling in huge numbers um, at that point. They didn't have a massive budget. They went to an ad agency, said, we need to run these ads, but only in black and white. And the work they produced over the next few years was quite exceptional. I mean, I'm not a fan of Volkswagen, I'll be honest about that. Mm. But the adverts they produced then were fantastic. They were great quality, very informative, very clear, highly understandable. And they gave customers or would-be customers all the information they would want to, to have. Possibly not boot size, but you know, you can always buy a motor and look at the suitcase test for that. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, I mean, when it, when it comes to um, uh, sort of, uh, I mean, I, I think people also miss, and uh, we were talking several weeks ago about the, um, uh, 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 the suitcase test. Um, and, and that again is something that that's missing from car adverts. That if if all you're selling is a family car, then just then just tell us what it will do. Whether you, you know you can get the family in and the dog in and all that sort of stuff. Um, and my favourite ad that uh, I've told you about, which you have no rec- recollection of, but you can find it on YouTube, people. Obviously, um, is is the late great Bruce Forsyth, um, and it would have been um, very late seventies. Um, and he was plugging um, the uh, Chrysler Avenger uh, estate, um, and he it was it was a game show setting. Um, there were there was there was a lucky couple who'd obviously won the car or had the car, and um, apart from saying how fantastic it was, there was there was a bucket of water there, which he threw over it to demonstrate the fact that it had electronic ignition, so it would start without any worry. Um, in the um, you know in the wet and the rain uh, of our of our great country, um, but but it was very it, but it was it was pure Bruce and and you would remember it for that reason uh, you'd you'd remember like I do that it had electronic ignition and uh, it and I think it just had the price at the end and in many ways for for a, a basic family car that's all you need to know isn't it yeah. uh, you can you know everybody can get get on board it's going to start it's going to be great and it's only going to cost you. Um, you know, two thousand quid or something. So uh, yeah, uh, even those efforts. But also, it was amusing because it was Bruce. And as you say, you you don't laugh or snigger or do anything much with any adverts at all these days. Whereas back in the day, uh, there were adverts involving Morecambe and Wise and Texaco and James Hunt. Mm. Um, uh, and again, people, you can find those on uh, YouTube and and think, wow, people used to have these as adverts. They were funny. Well, you know, Tony and Ridley Scott, the film directors, were, um, they, they made their names in advertising, first of all. And one of my favourite ads of that era was, for, I think it was for Shell. It could be wrong, but I think it was Shell. It was called Open Road. And it just featured, you know, a countryside, small filling station, a guard red Porsche 944, and um, the theme to Easy Rider, Born to be Wild by Steppenwolf. Very simple premise. 
fantastic ad. It actually made me want to buy a 944 more than it did buy Shell Fuel. So perhaps it missed the mark. But it's just wonderful. It was the, the cinematography was excellent, you know, and that was it was a quality, the production value of it that really made it stand out. There's no CGI, there's no messing around. It's all just shot shot beautifully. You know, I should expect from Tony Scott as some of his films perhaps weren't the best in terms of plot. Um, this is a chap who directed Top Gun, various other movies, um, Days of Thunder, etc., etc., Crimson Tide. You know, sometimes the plots weren't brilliant or the dialogue wasn't brilliant but you guarantee they'd always look great on screen. And that, that same was true of that advert. Check out the Bangers and Classics website at www.bangersandclassics.com. And why not also check out Free Car Magazine? It's published by James Ruppert. And it's, as the title suggests, free. Point your browsers at www.freecarmag.com to find out more. We're back after the commercial break. Um, and our next topic of conversation is about choosing a car for a new TV or film hero. So, James, the premise is you know, you're making a TV show or a film. It's about uh, an international crime fighter or your international man of mystery. Any era you choose, what car would you give the hero and why? Well, David, you, you very, very kindly teed this up for me, uh, I think, I, because because you know what answer is going to come. I've got a pretty good idea. Which is, which is fabulous, because I, I have gone down that route, um, and, I, and I did go to the bother uh, of actually uh, uh, creating, um, uh, effectively, uh, a comic superhero. They call them graphic novels these days, which is just a fancy way of saying comic uh, really, but I did this 20 years ago, and I created a character called Spencer Hayes, and I really liked the 1970s. 70s were great. Um, you know, it's a time when you could do anything at all, despite the power cuts, despite um, uh, you know all, all, all sorts of dreadful things going on in the 1970s. And the 1970s was actually in full colour, whereas um, other other eras of life were black and white. Um, uh, it was actually quite uh, groovy and great. It was it was the working class sixties really, um, and you did get these working class heroes, which which occasionally bobbed up uh, in films. Uh, and I suppose it's a bit like you know Michael Caine in a way uh, was you know a very working class hero, but sort of um, had lots of fun. Um, and yeah, I created a super superhero called um, Spencer Hayes. He he did exist for a while on the Four Car website, and this is going back way back when the internet was um, a, a tiny little baby, uh, and it did run for a while. And I've revived him occasionally, um, but basically, I put him behind the wheel of what I thought was the most fabulously uh, model, modern and uh, 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 far thinking car that you that you could have got. Uh, can I guess? Up. Can I guess? You, of course, you can have a guess. Who was knows? It not, was it an Austin Allegro? <laughs> it w- could well have been that. It could well have been that. But actually, uh, it turned out to be uh, a Jensen Interceptor. Uh, even though I know in real life they weren't fantastic, and uh, if you had one at the time of the fuel crisis, which uh, you know, it, you know, it would have been in 1973. Uh, you know, you'd, you'd have got nine miles to the gallon if you were lucky, and you would have been bankrupt uh, by the, you know, by the end of the street. Um, and also, they weren't built. Well, they were built okay, uh, but because they were hand built, uh, they were very specific. And I've got lots of stories from people who've owned them, and you know, like the left door, you know, the near side door is uh, slightly smaller than the uh, than the offside door because it's hand built and that's just the way things are and they rusted to bits in no time um so uh, yeah uh, but to me it was still a tremendously exciting car very advanced car much more advanced than uh, a certain james bond's car 
which was you know a bit creaky by comparison and uh, uh, I just had a bit of bit of bit of fun with that it's been the most tremendous waste of my time if I think about the amount of time I spent because I actually drew it I'm a, I'm a very average drawer but if I, spent, if I think about the amount of time I, I spent creating and writing stories and doing all sorts of things um, I really I should have done something much more useful you know like uh, mowed the lawn or something because uh, it's, it's, it's just I've, I've just never made any money from certain projects and that's one of that uh, uh, and that's a major one I, I think I did believe at one point it it could be a major motion picture or it or it could have been on the telly or something but uh, that that never came to pass but uh, it was great for everybody who indulged me uh, and uh, if we are plugging uh, just a tiny little plug it's a very indulgent book i've just brought together all the drawings i did and i put them in one place because i just think well one day i'll be uh, in a home and at least it'll all be uh, in a book that i can point to someone and say look i, I once created a, a comic character and it's over there in that book if you can be bothered to read it um and then you can feed me uh, my my meal through a straw <laughs> If I can speak, of course, but I, but it's just that, yeah, all I've done is that over, over Christmas, I was a bit bored and I just thought, yeah, I've got all these drawings, all these pictures and yeah, they, my, my, my relatives will put them into a skip or just burn them. And so what I better do is just uh, put them all in one place and put it into a book. So if nobody buys it, it doesn't matter. I've got a record for myself. Uh, but again, I wasted more time over Christmas where I, maybe I could have been drinking and eating more, uh, but uh, instead I put it all into a book. But thank you very much for that opportunity, David. But uh, oh, no, obviously, but obviously, I'd, I'd I'd like to know what who who you would create and what would they drive. Okay, the background to my character uh, is that at the end of the nineteen sixties, the world started to change, and the kaleidoscope of the swinging sixties turned into the monochrome of the gritty seventies. What happened then was that the unseen forces that watch over us decided to preserve an international man of mystery. Just one sole example of the night errants who had roamed the globe, fighting crime, seducing women, and keeping the champagne houses solvent. However, they chose the wrong guy. And they've been left with him. He's been sleeping under the Eildon Hills all these years, and now he's been revived because they decree that the world needs another international man of mystery as a hero. The chap they have got is best described as a cross between Simon Templar, Don Quixote, and Norman Wisdom. And that means that he's dashing, honourable, incorruptible, but a bit of a clot. He always wears black, and strictly between us, the reason for that is it's pretty good at hiding stains. He's more like Don Quixotic than Don Quixote. Anyway, he's always accompanied by his faithful sidekick Tupper, who is effectively Brighouse's answer to Sancho Panza. The two of them normally cut about in a black Alpha Male GT V6 that was supplied to him when he was um, awoken from stasis. However, the powers that be... Uh, refused his request to get a Jensen Interceptor because they balked at the cost of repairing the damage that he would probably cause if he were to be able to let loose in one. However, even the Alpha is currently off the road, and that's as a result of an incident involving the erroneous pursuit of a pizza delivery scooter, a plush wedding reception held in the grounds of Sir Humphrey Smythe Farbelson's modest 125-bedroom castle, a loose magnum of Dom Perignon 68 and an outdoor swimming pool. So for the time being, our international man of mystery and Tupper are having to make do with a 1984 Fiat Uno with three missing wheel trims, a radio that's stuck in KISS FM, and an intermittently faulty alternator. We're going to leave you on a cliffhanger, because at this moment in time it remains to be seen whether you'll get the Alpha back, whether the Fiat will make it to the end of the road, and whether he'll be able to get the stains out of his best suit. And on that note, 
we'd like to say thank you very much for listening to this week's podcast. We'll be back soon. In the meantime, take care. Thank you and goodbye.